Show Me The Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, I'm Luke O'Neill and welcome to my Show Me The Science podcast, where I go into something that interests me and hopefully interests you. Now this one got me. And again, I came across this the other day and I thought, what a fascinating topic. Now, it's all about the science of babies. Now, I can see you going, what is he telling us the science? What do you mean the science of babies? Don't be ridiculous. Well, babies have all kinds of superpowers. You have powers! Yeah, baby! You might call them, which is really interesting. And over the decades, people observing babies and studying them have noticed all these things. Quirky little things, it must be said. But it turns out that babies, very special, of course, and we all love the goo-goo-gaga of the baby world, don't we? Uh, but it turns out babies have very interesting aspects to their bodies and how they respond to things. And in all kinds of ways, babies are a fascination. This sounds a bit scientific, doesn't it? We love babies, of course, but, uh, but the science of babies is actually really, really intriguing. And there's no obvious application. I mean, we measure these things to make sure the baby is developing and growing and that might be one reason to study this and if they're missing certain milestones then we might help them you know various things like that make this somewhat useful but mainly it's just a few quirky things it's kind of more about how we evolved in a way because babies obviously have these traits optimize their survival first of all you know and then these traits go away as the baby gets older and of course you'd all be familiar with the different stages of life and development and all those things remember Shakespeare famously spoke about the seven ages of humans you know beginning as a baby then you become a child and all the rest of it and one man in his time plays many parts his acts being seven ages at first the infant and then, of course, rather depressingly, he said the last age is being like a baby again, sadly. But, uh, but still, that may not be the case with modern medicine. But certainly the baby phase of us as a species is really, really interesting. And they've got these unique features. And I'm going to give them to you one by one. And they're really interesting. The first is, did you know babies have more bones than an adult? Now, many people know this is a fact already. But they may have as many as 100 more bones. So why is this? Why do babies have extra bones? Now, it's not so much to have extra bones. It's more what happens is the bones fuse as the baby gets a bit older and two bones become one. And a hundred more if you count them all, which is really interesting. Uh, now, what's happening here? Well, if you have two bones, between them, there's a thing called cartilage. So the gap between bones is cartilage. Cartilage actually is a very important biochemical in our bodies. I used to work on cartilage when I worked on arthritis. So cartilage is the shiny stuff at the end of bones. And you may have, if you've ever had a chicken bone, you'll notice some shiny, bluey stuff. That's cartilage. It's a fantastic shock absorber. It's the body shock absorber, basically. And we've loads of cartilage between our, in our joints, you know, in our knees and our hips and so on. Tragically, in arthritis, that gets eaten away. And that causes all the problems of a disease like arthritis. And I worked, when I was working in Cambridge, half the institute I was in just worked on cartilage breakdown and what was cartilage made of and how does it get destroyed in arthritis and can we slow it down getting destroyed. It's the cartilage between bones that gives the babies this feature. They have extra bits of cartilage, I suppose, between those. And then finally then the bones fuse and the cartilage goes away. But of course, we've lots of joints where the bones haven't fused, like your knee and your hip and your wrist and so on. If they fused, you wouldn't have any flexibility. So the remnant of, of this business of having loads of cartilage bits between bones and babies ends up in our joints anyway. Now, why would you want them more bones? Well, it's all about flexibility. And, um, you know, in the skull, for instance, there's loads of gaps and they fuse. And any parent will tell you they'll notice these gaps between the plates of the skull. They're called fontanelles, by the way. And then they fill in. And by the age of two, they've all filled in. 
So in the first two years of life, the baby is joining up its skull bones, if you like. Uh, but it turns out that you, by the age of 16, you end up with all the bones that you're going to have as an adult. So it takes a good few years for all these fusions to happen. Another fact for you. Are you ready? Babies don't have kneecaps. How about that? They're bits of cartilage. And then finally, the kneecap bone, if you will, grows. And now they have kneecaps. Now, we think one reason for this is birth. If all the bones are very rigid in the head, that would make that very difficult birth, right? So the flexibility of the skull. In other words, all the bones can overlap and squish together and you get an egg shape sometimes in babies' heads to allow for birth through the birth canal. That's one reason they want a lot more flexibility. And then the babies obviously don't need to walk and run and so on. As they get older then some of the bones start to fuse to give them more mechanical strength, I guess is the way to think of it. So so finally the fusions are happening because it's long after birth and then it strengthens the whole skeleton to allow these bones to fuse. So babies are a bit squishier. Let's call that the superpower. Squishy babies. I shall call him squishy and he shall be mine. And it all then fuses together as the baby gets older. Now, second one, babies can multitask in terms of drinking and breathing. Now, any nursing mother will tell you this, they can latch on and suck forever without having to breathe, you know, so they can drink and breathe through their nose at the same time and not have problems with the food, the milk going down the wrong way. As we know, when we're adults, that can happen to us sometimes. And they can do this for 45 minutes. Now, adults can do this, it's called circular breathing. And you may have seen didgeridoo players. They can blow out and blow in at the same time. It's kind of similar. It's called circular breathing. With the babies, though, they're drinking and breathing and drinking through their nose as opposed to their mouth. And the larynx, that part of their, their, uh, their windpipe, as it will, is slightly higher. And therefore, the two channels don't mix as much. The air and the milk don't mix as much. They're obligatory nose breathers. They can drink and breathe at the same time. Us adults have trouble doing that. As I say, you can learn it, but it's tricky because very often the drink will go down the wrong way, whereas babies have that superpower. And again, this must be to do with nutrition and when the baby can suck away for 45 minutes and not have to pause for breath, taking as much milk as possible. And then as the baby gets older then and goes onto solids, I suppose, uh, there's less of a need to drink and breathe at the same time. So they lose that skill and the larynx drops slightly. So that's the second one, multitasking. Now, the next one then is they're natural swimmers. Now, what do I mean by that? They have a thing called a diving reflex. They can hold their breath underwater for a long time, a baby. And again, this is probably ties into the drinking and breathing thing in a way. But they can, eat, they can be submerged in water and survive for a lot longer, right? And the heart rate can slow down. They avoid inhaling water if they're in a swimming pool, say it seems to be like a reflex. This has gone by six months, this uh, talent of being natural swimmers. And again, you'd wonder why this is. It could, it could be a safety thing, because just in case a baby would fall into a, 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 a lake or a pond and will survive, right? That's one possibility. The second is it could be a remnant from living in the womb, remember, where there's loads of liquid and it was effectively swimming for months, you know. So it could be a leftover from development in that way. And as I say, it's gone by about six months they lose that talent. The other thing that's kind of related, which is a fascination, and again, any any parent will tell you this or any guardian who's minding a baby will know this. If 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 you if you drop a baby, not that you would drop it, but if you slightly if a baby slips in your lap, its hands come out. It's called a moral reflex and it'll grab. So babies will grab automatically. If they feel any way insecure, if they're ill and steady, they have this reflex which grabs something. It's also called the Palmer grasp. 
Now, what's going on there? It's very strange. And again, you can get a baby to grab something, you know, if you just sort of hold it in a certain way. Uh, it turns out they think, now this is a bit strange, it's hard to explain. Again, it could be safety. So if a baby is, is falling, you've got to grab something, you know, not fall. And maybe in trees, we may have lived, some people think we used to live in trees. Some of us still do live in trees, I suppose. But people, if, when we lived in trees, anyways, a species, there's a risk of the baby falling out of the tree. So we'll grab a branch. And that reflex allowed it then not to fall all the way to the ground. So maybe that that play, that um, that palmer grasp is a remnant when we used to live in environments where if a baby fell, it could grab onto something. So again, maybe that's why it's got that superpower. But by six months, that grabbing, that moral reflex goes. Suddenly lasts for a short time. I guess as the baby gets older, it can use other ways to protect itself. It's quite vulnerable the first six months of life, clearly. And the capacity to survive sort of falling into, a, into water or the capacity to grab something is retained in the baby for quite a while. Now, the third thing is they're super growers. So babies will grow and grow and grow. And again, we all know this, and it seems obvious. But these are biochemical machines. Let's put it that way. They'll take in breast milk, and all they need is breast milk. And they use the nutrients in that breast milk to build their tissues and grow and grow and grow. They double in weight in the first five months. This enormous woman will devour us all! This is incredible. And triple triple in weight by the end of year one and this is a rapid thing I mean, it's amazing how much weight babies put on uh, their muscles are growing all their different parts of their bodies are growing rapidly so they're super growers as well and they grow really really fast they're the fast, fastest phase of our growth is obviously enough as a baby and in the first year or so of life massive growth is happening and that does become important because that gets measured to make sure they're thriving is the word that's used often for this uh, to make sure they're putting on weight and so on so super growers is the fourth thing now the next one then is their sense of taste now again I was amazed when I read this they really like sweet taste so that's their favourite thing and obviously milk is a very sweet uh, liquid that they drink full of lactose the sugar in milk is called lactose they can't really taste bitter things that kicks in at about month three and they can't really taste salt either and again that kicks in about month three or four now why is that we don't really know obviously they want to drink lots of milk and they like it and it's full of nutrients and, and they, they pick up on the sweet taste of it but it could be an aversion thing so if they, if they eat or drink something else in their mouth uh, they, they will sort of not like it I suppose is the way to think of it unless it's sweet because the, the sweet sensation is so strong so it's not so much that they can't taste bitter or salt it's more if it's not sweet they don't like it is the way to think of it and again you'd wonder is that a kind of a protective uh, measure and then I didn't realise this that I saw this this week they've got taste buds on their tongues like uh, grown-ups have but they've got taste buds on their tonsils now, whoever discovered that is the next question. So they can taste things through their tonsils. Now, the tonsils are a very interesting thing anyway, if you're an immunologist, because tonsils are full of lymphocytes, the key cells that defend you. And they're at the back of your mouth, their throat, because that's a site for infection. So the tonsils, we always thought, are a bit like a little castle full of the immune system. And if the invader comes in through your mouth, there's loads of lymphocytes in your tonsils to fight the invader. And that seemed to be the main function of tonsils until some bright spark came along and realised, oh, there's taste buds in the tonsils of babies. And they can taste the sweetness that's tasted in the tonsils. And this must give the baby a huge kick. So when they're drinking breast milk, they'll taste the sweetness on their tongue and they'll also taste it in their tonsils and they go, wow, this tastes great. And then the other thing that's interesting is um, they can really tell the mother's milk from another source of milk. So they're drawn to their own mother's milk, if you like. Now, they, can't, they will drink other milks when they drink, they drink cow milk, you know, even. But still, they, they show a distinct preference for their mother's milk. So they're great tasters. And the other thing is, an interesting one, as they get older, 
their food preferences. And we know how picky eaters everybody can be up to adulthood. But babies can be very picky and young children can be very picky with what they eat. Their preference is often the same as whatever their mother was eating while they were in the womb. Now, it seems unlikely, doesn't it? But it's true. They've shown this. If the mother ate loads of a particular food while the baby's in the womb, the baby could taste it as well, coming from the mother, and then began to develop a preference for it. So there's a tip. If you're a mother and you want your baby to like asparagus, eat loads of it while the baby's in the womb. Why would you want to do that? I don't know. But certainly they've shown this very clearly that the food preferences of the baby mimic the mother's. And they must be picking up in the milk initially and then, you know, from the womb and so on. And then they have those preferences. So the whole area of taste is a really interesting one for, for babies as well. Now, the next one is they don't need water. Don't take that father. No, it's freaking water. Now you're wondering, what is he talking about? They don't need to drink water. They drink milk. And in fact, it can be dangerous to give babies too much water. And they will drink water, by the way, if you give it to them. But the problem with that is too much water will alter what's called the electrolyte balance in their bodies. The milk is the perfect fluid for them. It's got the right balance of salts and proteins and sugars and all the great nutrients that are in milk. Uh, and if you take too much water, it dilutes it out. And especially this thing called salt or electrolyte balance is really, really important. And also, if they drink water, they can feel full. Their bellies fill up with the water and that means they drink less milk and, and they eat less food as they get into solids, you know, and that can affect their growth. So strangely, you've got to be careful as to how much water you give babies. There's sufficient water in milk. Don't give any extra is the idea. And don't be giving them too much water as they get along. And again, uh, nursing mothers will be giving this advice as they go along. So they seem to be, you know, uh, I guess the superpower here is not to worry about drinking too much water, basically, because babies are, are tuned not to drink too much water. And they get, as they get the most of their fluid requirements are got from milk anyway. Now, the next one is a rather strange one, but get ready for this. Babies can produce their own milk. Now, what's going on there? Even female, uh, male babies can produce their own milk. And this has been shown, and again, again, nurse parents must not spot this, a little bit of milk coming out. Now, why is that? Well, well, people thought, well, first of all, are they able to recycle it and drink it themselves? That doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, it's probably a remnant from all the estrogen they've been exposed to. When they're in the womb, they're picking up loads of estrogen off the mother. Uh, and then that estrogen allows the mammary gland, which is what we call the gland that makes milk, to develop a bit, both in the male and the female. And they can produce their own milk. Um, and it's called galacteria. Sometimes some make a bit more than others, and that's been observed. It doesn't need to be harmful in any way. But there's a strange superpower. They can produce their own milk. Now, who knows where that might come in useful, but that's something that's been observed about babies as well. And as I say, it seems to be down to the estrogen exposure in the womb. Now, the last one has to be to do with music. My favourite thing. Now, I almost mentioned this earlier to do with the Nirvana album. Now, anybody of my vintage will remember the famous Nirvana album of the baby in the swimming pool going for the money. That's the water skill. As I said earlier, they can they can survive underwater for a lot longer than adults. Uh, and that's one thing to do with music I mentioned already. But the second thing is babies have great rhythm. They are innately good at dancing. Right, and then anybody will tell you this. You play a bit of music, your baby starts to jig around, starts to move. They've measured this in babies, and they can dance in time and they can boogie away, I suppose. And they love music. Music is a fantastic thing for babies. They can pick up on the, the emotion in it and the, the energy in music. And in fact, when they're in the womb, it's a good idea. Some parents play music to babies, trying to make them musical. But for some reason, they love music. And, and, and the big question is, why is this? Again, it could be turned to the mother's voice. So the soothing voice of the mother in a rhythm, you know, and we all sing nursery rhymes to our babies. They love it. It kind of gives them reassurance, maybe, the repetition and the noises of it. So they seem to be 
be hardwired to enjoy music and to dance away to it in a joyous way. Isn't that wonderful? So a dancing baby is a happy baby, I suppose. So it seems to be innately built into them, a love of music and then a rhythm. And this rhythm is sustained in them and they can they can move away. Now, sadly, uh, some of us lose that skill and I lost the skill probably from the age of two. Not a great dancer. I must I used to look at John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, another great movie from my vintage. Just, oh, wouldn't it be great to be like him? I'm a bit sort of this, you know, what's the word, uncoordinated when it comes to dancing. So again, I lost that skill from being a baby, sadly. And just like many of these things, as the baby grows up, you know, it's great to see a baby growing up, of course, but they lose some of these superpowers. And one of them, in some of us anyway, might be the ability to dance and to be rhythmic. Unless you keep it going as they get older, of course, and then they might be able to continue to dance away. And that applies to many of these things, basically. You know, These great skills the babies have, if they lose them, it's evolution in action. You don't need some of these skills as you get older. But one you might want to retain is the ability to dance. So my bottom line then is get the music going, get babies dancing because they love it so much. And then the other superpowers will eventually go away. But that's fine as they move on to the next phase of their lives. So fascinating stuff. The, all these special powers that babies have, isn't it tremendous that the evolution has built all this wonderment into our fantastic species, us human beings. So that's our topic this week, the superpowers that babies have. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, every Thursday you can download my podcast, Show Me the Science, and it's a News Talk production. Cheerio. Thank you.